0: Thanks so much, Troy, uh, for inviting me back. Um, it's exciting to be here. We, we're in town for a couple of days to visit family and uh, just kinda get back here for a little bit, get away from Columbus for a little bit. It's good to get a break. Um, everything's going fantastic. It, it really, really is. We've got uh, just a quick update. I'm sure some of you are curious. Uh, we've got discipleship up and going. It's, it's going slow, but it's going. Um, I've got a handful of guys that I'm meeting with weekly, Uh, doing MTT. So be praying for those men because I do believe that God is going to multiply our our ministry through those guys. And and it'll be not just me and my voice repeating the things that you hear every week. And so we'll have multiple guys in leadership positions repeating the vision and, and just being able to um, cast that before the body and and just have more people grab a hold of it so that we can we can run with it and so we 're excited about that i 'm excited about uh, we weekly have pretty much had i would say close to a hundred for the past five or six months, and so that 's really exciting that it, it when we first started, it was forty every week, and it was like this little family that we were building, and then it somehow turned into. 80-some adults and 20-some children, and it's, there's a buzz, you know. It's, it's a great feeling to, to be a part of what God is building down there. And so that's been amazing. Um, some of you got an update. Uh, if you're on the prayer team, we're looking at a building, finally. We've looked at buildings, but they were always uh, just to lease, and, and God has continually said no to those options, and I believe... He has said no because he wanted us to save some money for a while. And so now we're in a position not to lease somebody else's building and give them a bunch of money and walk away someday. We may be in a position to buy something. And so please, please be praying for us. There's, there's actually a church building for sale. We and four other churches are kind of jockeying for position on this thing. And just uh, we're praying that God loves us more than the rest of them. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I, how else do you – I don't know how you pray, so uh, – Pray that we get it, and you guys just deal with what—I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to do that, but just pray for us, uh, for wisdom and guidance that God would open those doors and, and close them for four other churches, and we'll see see what happens. Uh, you know, maybe they're, they're teaching false doctrine, and they don't need a building, so I, I don't know. I don't know anything about them. So just, just keep praying for us. That would be tremendously appreciated um, as we continue to, to labor uh, t- today, I, I almost said tonight, we, we meet on Sunday nights. So if I say that like 12 times, just ignore it. Uh, but this morning, we're going we're gonna to be in Genesis uh, chapter 41. So go ahead and turn there. And, and as you're turning to Genesis 41, I'll give a little bit of an explanation as to why we're going there this morning together. Uh, part of the reason is because this is where we've been in Columbus. Uh, a couple of years back when I was still here uh, in the well, teaching the well, leading the well we went through a study of the life of Joseph. And so with all the weird stuff that's gone on the past couple of years, with the, the weird stuff that we're hearing that's coming with gas prices are on the rise, with you know that kicking in all kinds of inflation on the backside of that, Biden is preparing for another spike of COVID and setting aside billions of somebody's money and, and, and we're gonna be ready for more chaos, apparently. There, there's doom on the horizon, y'all. And, and, and I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, how do we, as a little church in, in North Columbus, how do we prepare for that chaos? How do we prepare for the famine or the struggles or the, the trials that are coming? And it reminded me of that study that we went through in the well. And the, the, the overall title for the series that we've been in, we've, we've just called it Integrity, in adversity, because when adversity comes, you want to be able to stand with what's true. You don't want to waver, you don't want to falter, you don't want to, to fall back on your flesh and do what comes natural. You need to stand with integrity. There's no better integrity than the foundation of the Word of God. It never changes, it's always sure, it's the best foundation. And so when in adversity comes, can you stick with integrity. Can you stick with what God says? And so that's been the, the heartbeat of the study that we've been in. And uh, to, just tonight, tonight, this morning, we're going to jump right into the middle of that study. The, the story of Joseph goes from Genesis 37 all the way through the end of Genesis chapter 50. And so as we're in chapter 41, for those that may not be all too familiar with the story, we'll try and catch you up uh, to speed. But before we do that, Any preppers in the house? Anybody that's not embarrassed to say I'm a prepper? Okay, there's a couple. Proud of you guys for being preppers and proud of it or something like that, I don't know. Everybody knows if you know something bad is coming, you need to prepare. Depending on how bad you think it is going to be, well, that determines how much you prepare. Anybody old enough to remember Y2K? Okay, some of you are laughing. Some of you are laughing because you never heard of that, and you think, "Oh, that's just an old guy up there." That, that's fine. You didn't. Y2K, the year 2000. We thought the entire world was going to turn upside down because the nerds, the computer nerds, didn't write the computer codes right, and it was going to flip over a double zero, and all the banks were going to crash, and all our money was going to be gone, and everything was going to just just go crazy. I worked at Grado at the time, I was a young man, I was impervious to all of these things, I did not care, I did not prepare. I was like, you know, the world, flip it upside down, who cares, I'm 22, you know, who cares? Does not matter. Well, I worked with a a couple of fellas, they had 55 gallon drums stored up, water and rice and beans and Y2K came and the computers did not crash. And the banks did not falter. And those guys had a lot of beans and a lot of rice. <laughs> but they were prepared. Now, who would have been laughing had that thing flipped upside down? Well, they would have been. Because we would have been, you know, knocking on their door. And they would have said, you know, you're too close to that. You know, I got, I got ammunition too. Get, get back. You know, that's, that's what we would have heard. They would have been laughing. But if it would have gone as we supposed it should have gone, their supplies would have only lasted so long. Right? 55-gallon drums of rice and beans, that's great for a little while until it's not. And so I've got a statement as we get ready and and think about this. All, All of the preparation is great, and I'm not picking on anybody. Prepare for whatever you feel you need to prepare for. But the question is, Are you prepared spiritually for this world to go wacky again? Because it's coming. Whether anyone in government knows it or not, we know it's coming. So all of this supply is great until it runs out, and that's what it all comes down to, isn't it? Without a renewable resource that you can readily access, you're doomed. We're all doomed. So the question is, and the question you should be asking yourself is, Am I spiritually prepared to walk through another season of craziness? If not, how are you going to prepare for that? That's that's what God wants to know. Physically, yes, God can and will. He'll he'll provide for us. He'll take care of us. But are you going to hold to integrity? Or are you going to waver with all the craziness? And so that brings us to the story of Joseph. He... In Genesis 37, he starts off with this this great, amazing potential. He's had these dreams. God has said, you're going to be in a position of authority over those who are currently in authority over you, his family. It's going to be amazing. The next event in Joseph's life is his brothers betray him, throw him in a pit, and sla- sell him into slavery. Things are looking up. No, that's not the dream. That's not what it was supposed to be. And then things turn a little better. He gets bought as property from a guy named, or by a guy named Potiphar, and he, he elevates him to a position of authority in his house. And then Potiphar's wife, she wants Joseph for herself. Joseph refuses, she tells lies, and Joseph goes from being just a slave to being a slave who's in prison. Still not the, the dream come true. Still not what he thought would happen. And in prison, you know the story, there's a, a butler and a baker and they each have dreams and Joseph gives them the interpretation according to God's word, what their dreams mean and those dreams come exactly, precisely true. And so Joseph says, hey butler, when, when you're back in position, when you're back in your spot, don't forget me. And so what the butler does is he, he forgets him. And then, what we're coming to for this passage, the Pharaoh has a dream, has a couple of dreams. Well, you can, you can go back and read those, we'll, we'll just kind of skim over it, but basically the dream, there are some unhealthy kind, or cows, cattle, some livestock, there's some unhealthy ones and they devour and eat big, fat, healthy cows. Bizarre dream, you probably wake up like, okay, that, that was from the pizza I had last night, something weird. But he had another dream, there was was stalks of corn that were unhealthy and withered and beaten by the wind and they consumed healthy corn. And then the problem is afterwards, neither the corn that ate the healthy corn nor the cows that ate the healthy cows looked healthy. They still looked withered and starving. And so Pharaoh says, somebody needs to tell me what this dream means and no one can tell him. And the butler says, oh man, I can't believe I forgot. There's a guy in prison he can tell you what your dream means. He lays it out. Joseph comes in, he lays it out. We'll we'll see it again, kind of repeated in the text. But the dream means there's seven years of plenty coming. That's the healthy corn, the the healthy cattle. And following that is going to be a famine like we've never seen before. A famine for seven years after the seven years of plenty. and, And God wants you to get ready. And so I thought, what a... What a perfect spot for us heading into whatever's coming to see what God has to say about what we need to do to prepare for adversity. And so obviously that's the title, Preparing for Adversity. Let's go ahead and read together. We'll we'll pick up in verse 33 of Genesis 41. We'll read to 36 and then we'll skip down to 46 and uh, we'll, we'll keep rolling from there. So Genesis 41, verse 33 says, Now therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. This is Joseph giving Pharaoh instruction after the interpretation of the dream. God's told you what these things mean so that you can prepare. Okay, and so this is his instruction for preparation. Discreet and wise set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land. And take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in seven seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come. And lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine. Which shall be in the land of Egypt. That the land perish not through the famine. Now jump down to verse 46. And Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the, second, and the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray before we get into the, the notes, the study notes. Lord, thank you so much for caring enough about us to say repeatedly, hey, I love you and, and there's trouble on the horizon. Why don't you get ready? And I'm thankful that you don't leave it at that. You say, hey, there's trouble on the horizon, why don't you get ready, and this is how. So I pray, Lord, that this morning, that this message would would be a blessing to First Baptist Church. Um, Not just something interesting to hear, but something that would be a blessing because it helps us get ready, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, ready for difficult times. Not because we need to live scared, but because we should be prepared and ultimately, Lord, we don't want to waver from your word. We, we want to hold to integrity. We want to be like Joseph. We want to follow his example and, and stick to integrity throughout the worst of times, the worst of things that life can throw at us, because we know your word is still true, and it's always sure. So I pray, Lord, that you would guide us this morning, you'd speak to our hearts, and that uh, we would walk out of here changed and determined to prepare our hearts as you've called us to. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, right off the bat, in verse 33, Joseph tells Pharaoh, the first thing you need to do is get a wise man and put him over the task. So, Pharaoh recognizes the only true wisdom he's ever experienced is unfolding. It's unfolding right in front of him anyway. So, he says, Well, Joseph, you're the guy. Right? So, Joseph is put in charge, and that's that first. Part of the passage that we read is, is Joseph giving specific instructions to Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. I read some extra for context, just so we kind of know what all is going on, but we're going to spend the bulk of the time of this first section in verse 35. And point number one is God's word is our provision. This is a good church, so you already know that, but, but what, is, what is he getting at in this instruction? Let's look at verse 35 again. There's three key things that he points out. He says, let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. So they're supposed to gather, they're supposed to lay up, and they're supposed to keep. And a good Bible students in this room, you already know that the word of God is compared to what? That we should gather. Food. Somebody's got it, right? Bread, water. All, all different types of strong meats, right? We see in Matthew chapter four, verse four, Jesus in responding to Satan and the, the temptation after his 40-day fast, it says, he answered and said this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we're, we're sustained physically by physical bread, right? We, we eat physical food for our physical body and our, It's our physical nourishment, but we're sustained emotionally, spiritually, by the Word of God. We, we consume physical bread to keep ourselves physically alive and physically healthy. We need to consume spiritual bread, the Word of God, to maintain our spiritual health. It, it only makes sense, and that's the comparison God's trying to get us to, to understand. And so, the first thing that he says that we need to do, they were to gather physical Food, because they were going to have a physical famine. We're to gather spiritual food. And that is letter A. It's very simple. Read the word. You could have figured that out on your own this morning. You probably did. It it sounds a whole lot like Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs, the the wise man is saying, look. Look in uh, verse 6 through 8. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no guide or overseer or ruler provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So let's let's take this food comparison a little bit further. Let's apply it to Israel in the wilderness. God in Exodus chapter 16 provided food every single day for the wilderness, for their wandering through the wilderness. Verse 4 of chapter 16 says then said the Lord unto Moses behold I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. So God is providing bread and you just go out and gather it, how much? Look at verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, gather of it every man according to his eating. So how much do you go get? Well, how hungry are you? How much do you need today? Go get it. You know what's awesome? God doesn't sprinkle the word of God on the ground for us to go get in the morning. You've got it in a book. And if you get home from work and you realize, man, I'm still spiritually hungry, well, you can go gather some more. You can just go get more. It's very simple. He's given it to us. So spending daily time in the word, it's necessary for your spiritual health. But God's direction doesn't stop with that. He says, in addition to gathering it, you need to lay it up. And so this, I would say, is researching the word by study and memorization. If you don't just need it for today, but you need it for another time, you need to lay that up. Exodus 16 again. He said unto them, verse 23, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, That which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So there's a day coming during the week that there's not going to be any bread provided. What are you going to do for that day? Well, you need to lay up ahead of time. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 tells us how to lay up. And this is actually talking about the the words of God, not that bread. Verse 18 says, therefore shall ye lay up these my words where? in your heart, and in your soul. So if you're going to lay up this bread for another day when we need it, you've got to put it in there such that you have access to it another day. You should be memorizing the Word of God. You should know what it says. Do you have specific struggles? You should know what God says about your struggles. And then when you need it, you have immediate access. Because you've laid up. You've listened to the wisdom of Joseph, and you're ready. So you put it in your heart, and then it's available when you need it. 2 Corinthians 12:14 says, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you. This is Paul talking. I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. And then there's this interesting little phrase, For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now, Physically, we know parents feed kids, kids don't feed parents. That's just, you know that, right? Okay, good, good. Eventually, I'm hoping my kids will take care of me and feed me, but you know, I'm doing pretty good, as you can tell. I'm okay. So let's apply this spiritually. The way we accomplish this is through teaching the next generation. Your, your physical children are your spiritual children as well. And we have spiritual children in this room that we are to be investing the Word of God in. And you can't do that if you don't understand what the Word of God says. So reading it and memorizing it is not quite enough to lay it up for others. It works for you, but but you need to understand God's Word. You need to study to show yourself approved. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So he's reading it, he's reading it some more, he's chewing on it, he's studying it, and it results in good success when it's needed. So reading gives us nutrients for now, research allows us to store for later, and a proper response... To where is, is where this personal growth is gonna happen, right? Physically, we eat, our body consumes some of it, and it naturally stores some of it for later. But there's a third component that has to happen if we're gonna be physically healthy, and that's exercise. The, the picture's pretty clear, right? Proper growth happens when you eat and exercise. Your body can work those things out, and so the third thing that he told them to do was to keep. And this is respond to the word by obeying what you learn. Now, if, if you're paying attention to these blanks, read and research and respond, you probably think Troy put me up to that. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is I actually stole that from Troy with permission. So I guess that's not stealing. But it just fits so well. I'm a couple of weeks behind listening to, to what y'all are going through and when I walk my dog. I was like, man, that's, that's really good. That's exactly what Joseph told Pharaoh. Read it. Research it and respond to what God's wanting you to do. Gather it, lay up, and keep it. So how do we know that's what that means? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, read my commandments. No? Research my commandments. No more than anybody else knows about my commandments. No. Keep them. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, he He said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. That's obedience. Again, hearing without heeding, it doesn't give those benefits. It doesn't carry the blessing that that obedience and keeping does. And so since we're talking about crops, Luke chapter 8 is a great place to go because it's the parable of the sower. And there's different types of ground that the seed is landing on, the seed pictures for us. The Word of God, the the different types of ground, are our heart conditions. There are four different types of ground, and you, you fall onto one of those. Your heart is one of those in response to the Word of God. Specifically, the one that you want to be is spoken about in verse 15. It says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the Word, keep it. And when you keep the Word, there's a result They bring forth fruit with patience. And so the word grows in you. It produces the fruit of the spirit in you when you keep it. It's it's not, you know, when I was growing up, I just thought church was just a bunch of rules. I thought it was just, you know, this this strict way to live. And if you lived strict enough, God would be okay with you. But actually, God says, hey, I I want you to walk with me. And, and we're saying, yeah, but I want to I wanna do this sin, Lord. Well, I'm, I'm walking away from that. You can't do that and walk with me. You have to keep my way if you want to go my way. It's not rules to keep you down, to make you jump through hoops. It's a relationship. And if you love him, you will keep his commandments. That's just the way it works. So, Joseph... Physically, we'll get back to our story. Joseph physically was filling warehouses for future, for, for future use. God's word is so amazing. It kind of functions as the warehouse and the food within. It's an incredible book. So point number two, God's warehouse is filled for ministry. Obviously, Joseph is gathering, and, and he's gathering so that he can save and serve the world. Well, that's what ministry is. Letter A, we're to consume God's word ourselves. So we've already seen it's good for us. Let's let's cover this quickly. Verse 47 says, In in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls. We don't see the word handful or handfuls come up very often. It's it's found numerous times within the law in connection to the offerings to the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 2, is one of those specific places, verses 1 through 3 says. When any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense thereon. He's, he's making some sort of dough. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take thereof his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire. Of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. So the, the first handful, where does that go? That goes directly to God. They mix this dough, they get it ready. There's three elements to it, and they, they grab a big handful and they give it, and it's it's the sacrifice, it's the offering for God. But after that offering for God, where does the rest go? It goes to feed the ministers of God. So if you're going to be involved in ministry and your first handful doesn't go to the Lord, you're going to be hungry. You're going to be taking what should be going to God and and you're going to miss out. There's a whole lot more going on there, but let's just keep moving for the cross-reference of handfuls. Another place we see this is is Ruth chapter 2. And Boaz is, is obviously the owner of this field she's working in, and he says in verse 16, Let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So Boaz, he, he likes this girl that's working in his field, and he instructs his field workers, hey, leave, leave some handfuls of purpose for her. The first fruits, the, the harvest has gone to the Lord, pictured by Boaz, the owner of the field. Then he leaves enough for the one he loves. Ruth pictures the church. Right? Notice, it's not leftovers that he's leaving for her. These are handfuls of purpose. In other words, he, he did this on purpose, for the purpose of providing for her. See, when, when God gets his, what's left isn't leftovers. It's handfuls of purpose. It's purposeful, intentional ministry opportunity for you that, that actually feeds you and keeps you moving forward. There have been some tough times in Columbus. There have been some strange times. There's been some lonely times. There's never been a shortage of ministry. <laughs> there's never been a shortage of things to do and people who have needs, and there's never been a shortage from God's word. He's always provided. So that brings us to letter B. Not only does it have enough for us in these handfuls, letter B, we are to offer God's words to the lost. Again, this is God's warehouse stored up and ready for ministry. Verse 48, and, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. Again, there, there's so much in this passage. We're, we're hitting some mountaintops. There's a lot of meat left on the bone. But what this is mentioning is specifically where the food comes from. It's in the field. That's obvious. But that's an obvious connection also for us, a cross-reference, to realize what we're talking about. Over in Leviticus 23, there was, a, there was a, some directions, some, some rules within the law that God set up for those who are reaping the harvest, so that there would always be some left for those who are poor and needy. He says in Leviticus 23, verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land... Thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So the field is the place where, where we connect to and provide for the hope of hurt, hurting people and lost people. The field has extra Always, it has enough for for those guys too. Jesus speaks of the harvest in John chapter four. Verse 35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white already to harvest. What is he talking about? Well, Matthew chapter nine shows us what he's always talking about. Verse 36 But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. There's plenty of people with need. You know what we don't have a lot of? He says, the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest you see there's plenty of word of god to go around there's plenty of opportunity to minister that word of god to lost and dying people there's just not a whole lot of people doing it the warehouse is full the word of god is is ready to go out and and the people are in need and they're ready to receive it we just have to go get it and give it to them Paul says in Philippians 4.3, he says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. You know, the yoke is that instrument that goes on two beasts of burden, two oxen in the field, the the, the thing that connects them around their necks. So a yoke fellow is is the fellow in the yoke with you, right? He's the one doing the work beside you. He says, Entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me, where? In the gospel. A true yoke fellow is at work in the gospel. The work in the field is getting the gospel to those people that need it. The good news. And then he finishes, with Clement also. And with, my, with other my fellow laborers. It's all about the work. It's all about laboring in the field and getting the gospel to those who need it. And so the, the word is sufficient to fill you and I. There's enough Left over to share with the lost. And even after all of that, there's, there's plenty left over. Letter see. we are to invest God's word into others. Obviously, that is happening when you're trying to reach the lost. But you can't disciple somebody who does not have the spirit of God within them. This is for other believers. Verse 49, Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering. For it was without number. The result is, is exponential multiplication. And we know that only happens through discipleship. When I disciple somebody and, and they disciple somebody and they disciple somebody and, and we're before we know it, we're not just adding people to the kingdom, we're, we're multiplying. Before we know it, we, we can't even number how much God has done. So we have this obvious connection to Abraham and God's promises to him with the the sand of the sea, we're not going to go there. That's, that's the physical promise. What are we supposed to do with the spiritual surplus? Well, 2 Timothy 2, 2, it's, it's again, it's discipleship. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There's enough. There's a surplus. There's enough for me and my daily need. There's enough for me to get that word to the lost. There's plenty more for me to build up other believers. This book is a never-ending source of life and food. And we keep giving it out and, well, I'll be darned. Those same words are fresh and new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, Dr. Billy Bartlett, Brett's father once said, you know, only a new broom sweeps clean. If you know what that means, you know what that means. That's like an old person saying. I I finally figured it out now that I sweep the floor more. <laughs> We've got a dog and she sheds, and I sweep, and I'm like, all I'm doing is pushing dog hair all over the place. A brand new broom would be great right now. You know what this is every morning? It's a brand new broom. It sweeps you clean every single time you open its pages. It's brand new. God's surplus has no end. Just like himself. Acts 20, verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. The word of God is is sufficient. It's enough for you today, but it's also sufficient for what God wants to do in you. You gather what you need because the word has what you need. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. The power that works in us is, is the power that saved us. It, it's, it's the gospel, it's that resurrection power. And it works continually as we continually apply it. And it works in others as we invest it. This is the mission. This is this is the purpose. Go gather, get ready. You know, we started talking about, you know, what do we do to prepare for famine that's coming? Well, this is the same old junk you guys always talk about in here. Read your Bible and share the gospel and discipleship. Well, guess what? There is nothing else. That's God's plan. If you need a church that has a more creative plan there's a good chance God's not there. This is his plan. Because this book is what everyone needs. So Joseph was a a busy man. He has God's plan, and Pharaoh has chosen him and put him in a place so that he can put the plan into action. And during all of his travel around the country and the hard work of storing up he becomes blessed with true wealth. He's able to reproduce. He has some children. And so point three God's wealth is apparent when you become a parent. You'll remember it's cheesy, but you'll remember it. God's wealth is apparent when you become a parent. Spiritual reproduction is the goal. Right, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 20, it's not on your sheet. It talks about storing or laying up treasures in heaven. The best way that you can invest this book is into the lives of others. We've just seen that. And what that does is reproduce spiritual fruit. So I want to finish with a, a couple of cool pictures. Everything's kind of just been very practical. This is, this is some cool stuff that we see at the end of, of this chapter. Letter A, God's wealth provides us forgiveness. God's wealth provides us for forgiveness. Verse 50. Unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the, the, the famine came. So the, I want you to notice the, the reproduction. When, when were his two sons born? Before the famine. So what was he doing before the famine? He was gathering. He was laying up. And he was keeping and he was doing it over and over and over and over again until the, the reproduction was uncountable. And he was able to reproduce his own family in the meantime. And it says, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, not the same as Potiphar, priest of on, bear unto him. Joseph is married, and his wife's name is Asenath. The Bible does not give us a definition. I've looked for some cross-references. Apparently, she just got a weird name. There are some external references, one of which says she is a gift of the sun gods or something like that. That's weird. Another one says that her name means peril and discomfort or misfortune. So Joseph lives a life of peril and misfortune and now he has a wife of peril and misfortune. Wasn't that a wonderful deal for him? Now, I don't want to take that too far because the Bible doesn't tell us that's what her name means. But she is a Gentile bride married to a man who pictures Jesus Christ. She's a type of the church. And you know what she is? If her name actually means peril and misfortune, she was heading that direction until Joseph stepped into her life. And that's the same direction I was heading when Jesus stepped into mine. I had nothing but peril and misfortune. And it wasn't that I was just sitting around feeling sorry for myself because life gave me a raw deal. It was because that's where my sin and my sin nature was taking me until Jesus stepped in and rescued me and offered the entire world rescue at the same time. This daughter of of a false God-worshipping priest had no chance. Her dad had no answers for Pharaoh but her new husband had all the answers. And that's us. We are the bride of Christ. What a a cool picture that is. Romans 5, eight says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what the picture is? Joseph is lowered two times. The first time he's lowered into a pit and sold into slavery. Jesus Christ left heaven and lowered himself to become a man. Then Joseph was put into prison, and Jesus Christ, a second time, is lowered further when he went on the cross, died, was buried, and then eventually rose again. You know what was going on in this woman's life? There was no hope. There was no answers. There were peril and misfortune. While she was yet a sinner, Joseph went to prison. And then was able to rise victorious and put in a position to save the whole world. That's our story, y'all. What an incredible picture. Christ didn't wait for you. He didn't ask for you. He didn't demand that you fix yourself before he would die for you. He didn't ask you to clean up your life before it could apply to you. He said, choose my son. He already died for you. He already did what was necessary. Ephesians 1, verses 6 through 8. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. What an abundant grace that we have. But that's not all. That's just his wife. There's more pictures. Look at letter B. God's wealth allows us forgetfulness. And all you husbands said, see, babe, it's a good thing. Joseph called the name, in verse 51, of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. You know, there's, there's nothing quite like living in the midst of a blessing God's given you to help you forget all the struggle and pain that took to get there. I, I've, I have three wonderful children. My wife went through that birth process. I tried not to look too close, but to be there. It was anguish. And then it was incredible. And by her description, it's worth all the pain. Second Corinthians 4:16 through18 says, "For the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day." That's why we got to get into that book. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that we see are temporal, even the struggles I know it's it's hard to believe while you're in it. I know it's hard to believe. That's why we have to believe in faith and trust what God says, not what we feel. There's integrity in one of those. The other will falter. We look for a day when God will wipe away every tear. That's going to be a good day. Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, you know, the instant this life is over, what we won't be talking about is how bad we had it. We will glorify the one who gave us everything that we have from that time forevermore. We're not gonna sit around and, and yeah, I had it worse than you did, so I got these extra crowns. Yeah. And I got a badge. Yeah. Right. We're not, we're not going to talk about that. We may be, be impressed by someone else's sacrifice, but they will be focused on the one who is the blessing and the giver of the blessings. And that brings us to the last one. We'll, we'll finish in just a moment here. Letter C. God's wealth gives us fruitfulness, and this is what we've been talking about all along. The name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful, check out the location, in the land of my affliction. Not after my affliction. In the land of my affliction, where it got really, really bad for me, even though God made promises. Growth happens in the affliction, and we fight tenaciously to avoid it, do we not? Not? There's one thing I figured out as as an American Christian, as a Laodicean, we like our air conditioning ice cold, but we like our conviction lukewarm. We don't like trials. We don't like difficulty. We don't like being in the fire. We want out of that, and we want out of it now. I don't deserve this. I have the right. How dare you? (laughs) You know, that... That, that struggle and trial stuff, that's for young Christians. They've got to earn their way. That's the way we behave. But he says it's in the land of his affliction. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Paul's saying, look look what God did over there. How that In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. He says the abundance of joy came from the trial of affliction. They had to go through it to understand what that joy actually looked like and what they had. They had to go through that thing in order to God, for God to show them what they actually had on the other side. And the riches of their liberality, this is not a, you know, a political stance. It's not a liberal stance. Their liberality means they, they're going to give everything they have to whoever needs it. It came from deep poverty. Physically, they had nothing. But spiritually, they realized, you can't even see the bottom of the well. We don't have a rope long enough to, to reach the bottom of the well. We'll never run out. Second Peter, chapter one, verses five through 10, we go here all of the time for spiritual growth. And since we're talking about bearing fruit, I think it's appropriate that we look at this very quickly. It says beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So gathering knowledge alone is not going to make you fruitful. You've got to continue to grow and apply these things in order. Corey mentioned MTT. If you haven't signed up for that, that's, that's a fantastic way to do that. Verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if these things, if you do these things... You shall never fall. What an incredible promise that is. Again, this this passage is very familiar, and and we don't have time to dig into this. I just want to ask a couple of questions in light of what we see in the life of Joseph. Let's look at it in, in light of his hardship that he endured and finally became fruitful. And let's ask ourselves a few questions. How can you show virtue if you never submit to truth? That's kind of a trial, isn't it? I don't, I don't want to submit to that. That means I'm wrong. That means something needs to change, and I don't want to change. That submission can be very difficult. How can you learn temperance if you never have tough decisions? That could be a trial. Where does patience come from without trials? The Bible actually says that's Exactly where it comes from. Where does godliness come from if these trials don't repeat to see if that first response wasn't a fluke? Oh, are you going gonna to respond godly each time? That's godliness. And how about brotherly kindness or charity without difficult people? Know any? Don't look around. (laughs) You see, if there's no adversity, there's no growth. The fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintops. There's nothing up there. It grows in the valleys. If there's no adversity, there's no growth. If there's no growth, there's no fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no purpose. This is what we're here for. So in conclusion, we started by talking about how to prep for upcoming trouble. And I mentioned that what is most important is that we have a renewable resource to draw from. Hopefully, you already knew this, but, but you have a renewable, re- renewable resource Amen. continually and forever. As much as you want out of it, how much do you need today? Go get it. How much... Does your lost friend at work need today? Go get it. How much does your disciple need today? Go get it. There's more. There's more left. And when you do that, and you just keep doing it, and you just keep doing the work that God's called us to do, he says the result will be fruit. And growth. And more fruit and more growth. It's a pretty incredible promise. He told the woman at the well this, this relationship with him would, be a, would provide living water that would continually spring up to everlasting life. and That she would never thirst. That makes me think of Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and we'll finish here. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners... Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And you find yourself there today? You don't, have, you don't have to be in those three places. Because the blessing is, is somewhere else. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And the result is that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. They just keep coming. They just keep feeding That bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's that's my prayer for for Northside. That's my prayer for First Baptist. That we would just tap into the source of life and not look back. The plan to prepare for famine is the same as the plan. You just got to be involved in it. And God will provide. So what if the government goes crazy? Or what if things are hard this fall? Fill in the what ifs with whatever you want. We know what's true. The what ifs may come and they may not. But but God has given us a source, a renewable resource you'll never reach the bottom of. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Again, for your word, for the, the promises, for the, the plan you've given us. It's a perfect plan. We are imperfect people, and we're trying to reach other imperfect people, so it, it's hard. But we know you'll guide us. We know you'll correct us. We know you'll change us. And you've promised to never quit until you come back for us. And we long for that day also. But we want that day to be with more souls. More souls that have grown in maturity because they keep your commandments.